Welcome to the second episode of Speaking of Everything, the podcast where sports, politics, journalism, and music intersect in interesting ways. I'm your host, Doug Farrar of USA Today's Sports Media Group and the author of The Genius of Desperation. Today I speak of everything with Jason Reed, the senior NFL writer for The Undefeated. From the Los Angeles Times to the Washington Post to ESPN to The Undefeated, Jason has been one of the foremost voices regarding the intersection of sports and social issues for a long time. Here we talk about everything from Jason's journalistic mission to the future of the Washington NFL team's nickname to Colin Kaepernick's past, present, and future to how teams and the league can do more to raise social awareness in its own kitchen and finally what will become of the NFL's current racial reckoning. Follow Jason on Twitter at J. R-E-I-D-E-S-P-N and read his archive at theundefeated.com forward slash contributors forward slash Jason Reed. And be sure to check out ESPN's Year of the Black Quarterback TV special, which is based on Jason's work over time. Without further ado, let's get rolling with episode two of Speaking of Everything with Jason Reed. And here we are with Jason Reed, senior NFL writer for The Undefeated. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I know you're a busy guy. I'm a busy guy, and there's a lot going on right now. Um, Before we get into all the NFL stuff, one of the things I wanted to start talking about in this podcast is journalism in general. And you've been with The Undefeated since 2017. You were, you know, with The Times and The Washington Post and LA Times, Washington Post, ESPN, then The Undefeated. And I'm curious, how has being with The Undefeated changed your journalistic mission or has it? Was it more like, yeah, right place, right time, this is where I belong? Well, I think, at least for me, the journalistic mission is always to try to get at the truth of whatever I'm, I'm covering. Uh, specifically when you're undefeated, obviously I'm focusing on race, uh, specifically race in the NFL. So it, it changed it from the standpoint of writing about the league. I mean, I've covered the league since 2007, but the types of stories that I would write uh, when I was covering the, the, the Washington uh, football team beat or when I was a general columnist of the Post, uh, the, it's different. I mean, I'm I'm really laser focused on race in the NFL for the things that I do for the undefeated. Now, there are still times that I write stuff for ESPN.com um, that are more just general football topics. But yeah, with, with the undefeated, it, it, it's definitely a, a different lens. It's a different way that I look at the league in terms of what I'm trying to find out on a day-to-day basis, the stories that I'm, the, the pieces that I'm attempting to do. Um, now, the NFL is, uh, I've seen different figures, uh, as much as 75% African-American, uh, definitely over 70%. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I cover race in the NFL, there's a lot to cover when the league is overwhelmingly black. At least it's, it's on-field workforce. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that I do look at things differently because my coverage vantage point has changed. I'm not do, just doing general NFL stories. There's a there's a a, a lane that I'm in now that uh, to write for the undefeated to do the type of stories the undefeated wants me to do. Yeah, it does have to be different. Do you feel? At any point that you're, because I was putting together questions for this, and I was thinking, well, geez, I would like to do a separate podcast with Jason where we just talk journalism and football. Because I, do you feel, do you get enough of all that you can do with that laser focus you're talking about? I, I feel that I do. I I know that. Um, well, let's just say, look at what's going on in the league, not now, but um, let's say turn back to last season. Um, one of the major storylines in the NFL, even before this national reckoning on race that's occurring, has been the lack of diversity and inclusion uh, in football and business operations. Mm-hmm. Now, that that was something that uh, you know many people have been focused on before uh, the events of the last what two months basically yeah. uh, occurred. So, just writing about the fact that what's going on in these hiring cycles with the fact that there, uh, you know, there's only one coach of color hired in the last three hiring cycles and that there are no, uh, 
team president. There are no African American. There's never been an African American team president. Uh, there are now only two African American general managers. There's only four head coaches of color. So, just those storylines uh, occupy or have occupied uh, my whole season. Reporting those things, traveling to write stories around those topics, uh, covering events that are about those topics. So, yeah, I, I feel that. I, to be honest with you, if I wanted to, I could literally write a thousand to two thousand word piece every day about race in the NFL because there are so many things that you know I just I can't get to. Now, it's not practical to try to do that because you 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 know drive yourself into the ground. But in terms of having enough to cover, yeah, there, there's there's never been a week during the time that I've been at the undefeated where I've said to myself, wow, there's nothing out there, there's nothing going on. But, yeah, I guess if you wanted to write a 1,500-word column on, you know, where Dwayne Haskins has to go in years two and three, you could do that as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's not um, it's not just about the hiring situation. Uh, you know, I, this past year I did a, a season-long digital series uh, that we called The Year of the Black Quarterback, um, mm-hmm. And uh, then, it, then it turned into a TV special. So my whole year was occupied by that. Um, you, you know, I I'm not. I just don't do only like, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, stuff that a lot of people consider boring. I mean, I I, I love getting <laughs> out there and and doing pieces on. You know, like you said, where does Dwayne Haskins have to go? Matter of fact, uh, one of my favorite stories last year uh, was a piece I did on. Doug Williams, Dwayne Haskins, uh, Jason Campbell, kind of the, 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 the black quarterback lineage in, in, in Washington that you know stems from Doug all the way through uh, Dwayne Haskins. So that was, that was a really fun story to do. So, yeah, it, it's, there, there's quote-unquote serious stuff, the, the kind of the business of sports stuff that, that – because of this rate, quote unquote, you know, race beat that I cover in the NFL, I have to do. But there's also football stories too that I find to be a lot of, that definitely find enjoyable. Cool. You're the black quarterback, must read and must watch. Yeah, for me, I mean, in my current position, you, you, uh, with sports media group, one of the things I love about it is I can do everything from tape to social justice, and I just, I, I'm always curious whether people are afforded the opportunity to write all that they can, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you can. Yeah, and, and, I, and I will say, Doug, that uh, The Undefeated has been great. I have I've worked at some really uh, great media outlets, but I have never been afforded the freedom that I have at The Undefeated from a standpoint of, hey, I, I give them a topic that I want to pursue um, in terms of going, play, you know, hopping on a plane to go do an interview. Or, um, you know, there's never been a time when they've told me, no. Now, there's a there's also a trust level that has to be established that, hey, sure. this person knows what he's doing and we're going to get the content that he says he's going to provide if we you know, pay for him to go to X, Y, and Z. Um, but they've been great about that. And, and, and the other good part for me is, is that because I, I have a relationship with ESPN.com, the NFL group there, uh, I also get to do just general NFL stories. And uh, you know, ESPN, the undefeated is part of ESPN and, you know, it's owned, ESPN mm-hmm. owns the undefeated, however you want to phrase it. So the stuff that I do for the undefeated, I mean, it runs on ESPN.com and um, a lot of times the, the NFL editors will reach out to me to write columns when things are going on. So I, it's the best job I've ever had. Cool. And I, yeah, I, I want to make it clear. I think the undefeated is an incredibly valuable resource. You just, you know, how binary people can get. Like, oh, he writes oh, the undefeated, so that's all he does. Which, I, in your case, is a canard, and you certainly have the chops to do whatever you want. Well, much, much appreciation, man. Thank you, man. So, with all that highfalutin stuff out of the way, let's get to this uh, Washington team name, uh, team name thing. And before we get into the Redskins name thing specifically, I want to briefly review because I was writing. I wrote an article about the black player ban in the NFL from 34 to 45, and I was astonished at how many people didn't even know the NFL had a black player ban. So yeah. I, I just want to briefly review, it's, it's stuff you all know, but the franchise's history of racism 
It's fairly epic in a very bad way. Going back to former Redskins owner George Preston Marshall's role in the NFL's ban on black players from 1934 through 45, it was basically his campaign. Um, and then Marshall's refusal to integrate the team until 1962 with the draft pick of Ernie Davis and the subsequent trade for Bobby Mitchell, which, by the way, got Paul Brown fired. Um, <laughs> that was a big one. Yeah. Took, uh, yeah. It and took Stuart L. Udall, John F. Kennedy, Secretary of the Interior, to force Marshall to integrate by threatening to deny him public stadium land. And then, to top it all off, in uh, the team cafeteria during the team's annual preseason trip through the South, George Preston Marshall forced Bobby Mitchell to sing Dixie. This is a mess. It's an ugly history, as few other sports franchises have had ugly histories. And zooming to the present, why doesn't there seem to be a sensitivity to that repugnant racist history in the ongoing schism regarding the name? There seems to be sort of a cognitive dissonance there that's really weird. Well... Many of the team's fans will tell you that they don't see it as being a racist name. And, you know, the origin of the term has been debated. Now, you know, I've, I've read a lot about it and that, that you know, there, there are some people, that, the, the, the people who believe that it is a, a racist term will tell you that it came from the uh, people would, would get money if they brought in redskins, basically the, the, the you know the, if you kill the, a Native American, you would remove part of their scalp, and you get a certain amount for a man, a certain amount for women, and a certain amount for children. And I remember reading that piece, and uh, I read this years ago, and I was like, oh my god, this is horrible. But then there are other pieces that say the the, the word derives from other things. Now here's the thing: <laughs> many people feel that the term is racist and the reality of it is that it should have been changed a long time ago if we were in a society that was going through this reckoning on race at a level that it's going through now uh-huh. okay because things clearly things are in warp speed right now but as far as to why there there wasn't that sensibility look the team was winning um, you know, when Joe Jackson Gibbs became the head coach, they were a Super Bowl contender seemingly every year. They won, they appeared in four Super Bowls and won three. They became one of the most popular franchises in the NFL. I mean, they were popular before that under George Allen and at other points in their history. But Gibbs really took the thing and, and, and put it on another level. And so then there was a sense of pride, uh, you know, but, but in the D.C. fan base, this team was winning Super Bowls. They were having parades, and, and so people did not want to just remove the name because it was an incredibly successful franchise, one of, the, one of the jewels of the NFL. But over the last generation or so, it, it clearly has not been one of the jewels of the NFL. And the current owner of the team, Daniel Snyder, uh, clearly has been tone deaf about this issue. Um, the team has had essentially a campaign of having some Native Americans say, oh, no, we love the name, but there's a very you know, questionable things about like some of the people who have been supporting that. Um, and now we're at a point where it's, it's, no, it's just untenable. The, the, the situation yeah. just can't continue because the NFL – is at a point right now where, you know, you have you have people within the league. I've I've had sources within the league text me about the fact that hey, we we want to be a change agent now. You know, we 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 see where we've erred. And Roger Goodell, uh, the commissioner, affirmed that Black Lives Mattered in a video, and that we're going to stand with the players and we're going to do better. And, and and Doug, I mean, when I I, I had a source um texted me a couple weeks ago and said that, yeah, you know, everything is on the table now. And I was like, everything? He said, yeah, everything is on the table. Now, as a matter of fact, it was more than a couple weeks ago because it was the day after Roger's uh, video. And that's when I knew that, okay, the name has to go and that the name is going to go because the NFL is taking a position now where we are actively going to campaign to end racism, 
is the NFL going to end racism? No, the NFL is not going to end racism. But the NFL wants to be on, on that side of the table. If you're going to be on that side of the table, Doug, you can no longer support having a name of your team, a name of your, your franchise that's based in Washington, having that name. So the name is going now because, again, we're, we're dealing with this national reckoning on race that the NFL has said we want to try to be on the right side of the table. And we can, we can debate the motives. Uh, we can question, you know, whether it's just being cynical. We can look at a lot of different things. I'm saying that's their public position. And with right. that being their public position, the NFL had to apply the pressure that needed to be applied to make Snyder know you got to change the name. Well, I think the motive is important in as much as it speaks to and leads to how serious the NFL is about being an actual agent of change. I mean, it, you know this. Goodell only did that video after people in his own office went behind his back and created the I Am George Floyd video with all those NFL players and presented it Absolutely. to him and said, you're going to look like a complete jackass if you don't follow our lead. And Goodell is many things. Stupid is not one of them. So that's one thing. And, you know, it, there's all kinds of corporate pressure on him now. FedEx, Pepsi, Nike, investors with over $600 billions of dollars in assets have written letters to these companies. Nike has taken Redskins gear off the shelves until there's a name change. Target, Dick's Sporting Goods, and Walmart, pack that away for a second, refusing to sell the merchandise until there's a name change. I mean, so so now you have... In, and this is just my take on it. Owners and a commissioner who are looking at ever more expansive television deals, and the money for that is based on sponsorship. So there is a there's a tacit pressure. There's an absolute pressure on one team, and there's a tacit pressure on the entire league to sort of come around on this. I'm sorry, that was a question. I didn't really phrase it that way. No, 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 no worries, no worries. Um, I was no, I, 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 I got you. No, um, this this was not about altruism. Let me, let's let's be clear about that. Everything you just laid out is one hundred percent true. The, the league saw the train coming down the tracks, and the reality of it is, with with the the, the billions of dollars that are tied up in this league that's, that is, is pushing $20 billion in annual revenue, and a large portion of that pie comes from these massive TV deals. Like, you can't have major sponsors across the country say, hey, we can't be part of this because, you know, we, we, we've got customers, and now they're saying they're not part of this. I mean, let's, look, look we, can, we can take it back a little further. The polling has changed on this. Yeah. Okay? If the polling had been... You know, Black Lives Matter is still just this leftist, you know, uh, uh, leftist anti-government group, and you know, most people don't believe in what their what what their overall message of affirmation is about, um, and all these people in the streets are just hooligans. If if that was the polling, let's be honest about it. Would we? be having this monumental change, this tectonic change that's sweeping the country? No. I highly doubt it. But the polling is clear, and that, and that Americans now understand or now believe that a lot of these things that, that African Americans have been talking about for years, about their, their interactions with policing, with police, and, and things that have come out of policing, well, no, this is, this is problematic, and no, you know, we do need to examine these things about, you know, white privilege and systemic oppression. Um, that doesn't mean to say you, you wipe out, you, you, you wipe out history and you, and you say that, oh, you know, everything, and you know, white people are all bad. But what you do have, you have a reckoning about where the country was and where the country is and where we hope the country will go. And the NFL can read the polls too. The owners can read the polls too. And, you know, after that video, which you mentioned, that the players dropped uh, with, you know, in conjunction with a, a, a NFL employee who works in social media, was like, no, we, you know, we're going to do this. And you have Patrick, Patrick Mahomes, the best player in the league, the guy who's, who's going to be the face of the league for probably a decade or more, saying on that video that black lives matter, uh, Roger and the owners had no choice. Right. You can't be in opposition to the best player in the league because what that would have done is it would, it would have created a situation where the NFL would not be able to maximize its money. 
Yes. And, and again, we can we can look at this in the, in the in the coldest, just most practical dollars and cents way possible. Roger and the owners had no choice. They simply had to do this. Yeah. So onto the internal review, is this? Somebody trying to convince Snyder that the, he needs to change the name is this passing the buck. What what is the internal review as far as you know? Uh, let me let me <laughs> let me try to say let me try, let me try to say this the best way the the, the the best way possible. the The reality of it is the name is already gone. We don't publicly know what the new name is, but. Daniel Snyder has a fiduciary responsibility to his partners. His partners are the other owners. His fiduciary responsibility to them is to do everything in the best interest of them maximizing their profits. The name cannot stay when the commissioner of the NFL and the other owners are saying, no matter what they privately believe, publicly they're saying, black lives matter. We we support this and this is what we have to do. So... uh, there's, I, I believe what's going on right now is a certain amount of cover um, that that's being that that some that they're trying to provide for the owner of the team to say, well, you know, we just didn't we just didn't give in to the mob. You know, we we thought about this and you know we had we deliberated and and it was you know we we contemplated whether this was really the right thing to do. You don't announce something like that. If there's a possibility that you're going to keep the name, because that would just enrage people even more. Well, wait a minute. There's all this public pressure. You you acknowledge that you need to look at this, and you you keep the name. Again, I think this is I think this is all a smokescreen. I think this is just for cover. I think that they they probably already have several names that they have been talking about for weeks. Um, remember. Snyder has been talking to Goodell about this for some time. This is not this when the when the whole thing came out with with FedEx, you know, saying hey, we want the name to be changed. Uh, the, the the person who runs FedEx is, is a Redskins minority owner. Uh, Snyder wasn't blindsided by any of this stuff. This has all been part of a process. I mean, I would not be shocked. Um, I'm not going to say I won't be shocked. I've been told that people at the highest level in the in the league office have been on this for quite some time because. It's not a matter of, well, let's think about this and see where we're going to go. I mean, I saw that on Twitter. People are saying, well, I still wouldn't be shocked if they didn't change the name. No, the name is gone, okay? You've you, you got to understand that all the, all the political, political machinations going on right now to try to provide a smokescreen and cover so, so it can look like, well, you know, we just didn't cave, I get it. But, no, the name is gone. And I don't know what the new name will be. But even had even Rod Rivera, the head coach, talking about, oh, you know, if it was a new name before the season, that would be great. Rod Rivera is not going to say that if there's if there's a snowball's chance of the name not being changed before the season. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, I go back to again this text that I got from a source in the league uh, right the day after Rogers' video. And the guy says to me in the text, because uh, I, I, we were going back and forth, and I said, well, you know, obviously this is major, but, like, how long is it sustainable? And he says to me in the text, we want to be on the right side of the table on this. We want to be a change agent to try to end racism. And he says to me, everything is on the table now. And this is someone who knows in, the, in a past life, as you uh, said during the introduction, that I, I worked at the Washington Post for some time covering the team and as a columnist. So... That was code to me like, well, the name is changing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting um, to kind of intersect the NFL with uh, with your company. Uh, something else Disney has done recently. Uh, first look deal with Colin Kaepernick and Jamel Hill's involved, which is, you know, double the irony. Um, it And it's... My here's my theory about Colin Kaepernick. I'm gonna just run it by you. My theory is that the NFL wanted to minimize Kaepernick's statement weight. It should have just let him play. He's got a first look deal with Disney now. He has the multi-million dollar endorsement deal with Nike. He's got the partnership publishing deal with Medium. Had the NFL not been so reactionary and just let Colin do his thing, I mean, I've been as much of an advocate as anyone that he has the right to play in the NFL, and that right has been unfairly denied. But I don't mark him as a potentially top five quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he 
He may have been a relative footnote had he been allowed to stay on the field, but now it's almost as if the NFL did him this enormous favor in blacklisting him and thus amplifying his voice. What are your thoughts on just how that whole thing is? Because it's just, it's turned so much in his favor. And you've got Joe Lockhart, the former NFL PR guy, saying, yeah, we made a mistake. We blew this. You know, uh... Les Snead, the GM of the Rams, recently said in an article, um, you know, we, we erred, we must learn from what, what happened to Colin. It, it, it's just, it's a fascinating sort of reversal of fortune. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean everything you said, I, you know, let's start with, with his, uh, his standing as a, as a quarterback. Um, my position all along was that we can have a conversation about how many teams he could start for in the NFL. But we can't have a conversation, at least not a, a, a credible conversation, that he was an NFL quarterback in 2017. Um, when you look at the dearth of quarterback, competent quarterback play in the NFL, this guy made, after the 2016 season going into free agency, the guy had made 58 career starts. At the time, he had the fourth or fifth highest touchdowns to interceptions ratio of the people who qualified in the history of the game. He had started in two NFC championship games and a Super Bowl. And I know people say, oh, you know, he was one in ten as a starter uh, that year. Uh, my, my counter to that is it was a horrible team. And, again, if we're talking about him replacing Tom Brady, if we're talking about him replacing Matt Ryan, well, again, that's, that, that's not something I will engage in. But if we're talking about one of 32 jobs or one of 64 jobs, no. He, I mean, not when the Mark Sanchez of the world and the Josh Johnson of the world are being trotted out there when the Redskins, excuse me, when the Washington football team <laughs> is, six and, is six and three. Alex Smith has a horrific leg, leg injury. They have a, a schedule that appears with, a, with decent quarterback play. They could be in playoff contention for the rest of the season. And instead of signing Kaepernick, who, quite frankly, just with his with, with his the skills that he had at that time, you're going to be better off than Mark Sanchez and, and, and Josh Johnson. So the league definitely kept him out. I mean, there's there's just no way around that now. Um, you know, in, in Rogers' video, he did not, he stopped short of saying, you know, we we did something wrong to Kaepernick. Kaepernick, uh, you know, as everyone knows, filed a collusion grievance against the league and settled uh, the grievance. We the, the terms of the settlement uh, were sealed. But yeah, I mean, had had Kaepernick, let's say a team signs Kaepernick uh, in 2017, and he's a backup somewhere, or he's a starter for a you know a team that's not a playoff team. His his message would still have resonated, I, I do believe, mm-hmm. but not to the level that it has now. I mean, what, what the league effectively did was it not only made him a martyr, it made him someone who was an icon opposed to injustice. Now, again, when he was kneeling, um, his form of demonstration, it, it, it attracted a great deal of attention. There's no doubt about that. But when you deny someone who's clearly good enough and competent enough to work in, 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 in that person's chosen field, when you deny them a job, well, what happens is when they have the spotlight on them, the, their aura, the aura, everything around them just continues to grow. And, yeah, the, the league made a lot of mistakes. And one of the mistakes was, was thinking that, well, Okay, nobody's going to sign him. And I'm not like, look, I doubt there was ever a smoking gun memo. Uh, you know, the, the teams are way too smart to do that. Uh-huh. But it was, I think it was just understood that no one's going to sign this guy. So, yeah, I, I do believe that had Kaepernick been in the league all this time, don't get me wrong, I think he would have been a major figure, no doubt about it. And, and a lot of discussions would have, would have revolved around him. But by keeping him out now, going on one, two, three, four seasons, they, they the league effectively, you know, made him much bigger and much more powerful. 
And we, yeah, when people say, well, look at his, I mean, he, he threw 16 touchdowns and four interceptions in 2016 with Jeremy Curley as his leading receiver and bad Chip Kelly as his head coach. I really don't know what to say yeah. about that. Um, yeah. So you fast forward to now. Kaepernick put up a tweet on July 4th in which he said, Black people have been dehumanized, brutalized, criminalized, and terrorized by America for centuries and are expected to join your commemoration of quote-unquote independence while you enslaved our ancestors. We reject your celebration of white supremacy and look forward to liberation for all. One NFL executive reached out to NFL.com's Jim Trotter and said that this complicates things. We were talking football about Colin, and now it's about other things again. And, I mean... Hey, Jim's. I've known Jim for a long time. Jim says it happened. It happened, and I find it interesting that the executive reached out to him because I have to call BS on this. I don't believe that Colin Kaepernick will ever play in the NFL again. I think you're going to see a situation in which the NFL continues to endorse Kaepernick's right to do what he does. And yes, mistakes were made, but you're also going to see 32 teams with full quarterback rooms because giving him lip service is the easy thing to do, and keeping him out of the league is also the easy thing to do. Well, you know, I, I, I don't, I mean, obviously I don't have a crystal ball, so I, don't, I can't say for sure. I know that back in 2017, I asked two NFL play callers to give me an honest assessment of his, of his game. And they went through everything, you know, the footwork, the, the, the throws that he makes really well, the throws that he doesn't make so well, how he reads it, pocket presence, you know. I mean, all the things that you, the, the checklist that you would go through if you're breaking down film on a guy and saying, hey, this is the guy we want to, take a look at and both of those guys told me nah he's more than good enough to still be in the league I mean it's not like there's no question about that I mean again if the conversation is Breeze um, you know and Brady well no then yeah. he's not there but if the conversation is you know 20 other guys nah I mean they're both like he's good enough to be in the league and they both told me and so then I asked them well do you think he'll be signed and both of them said no and they didn't want to get into why so Look, I don't know if he'll ever play in the league again, but the you know these teams can talk about it. They can say, "Hey, you know, we're we're thinking about it." Um, they can say that how uh, you know they they can put it out there through the media that you know there's a possibility. But until he signed, he's not on a roster. And at this point, with all the things he has going on, I don't think he would just take any job. No. Um, maybe at one point he would have, but I don't. I don't think he would now. And I have no direct knowledge about this. I haven't spoken with him about it. I have no reporting on it. But as much, let's just say, you know, it still burns within him to play. Okay, fine. But after all of this, are you just going to go somewhere like you know until you you know they give you a shot to be a backup? You know, I mean, you, you know, maybe you can compete for the job. I don't know. I I, I don't know, but um. Until he's on a team, he's not on a team, and all the reporting suggests no one has offered him a contract. And I find it, I mean, you know, the Texans, when Deshaun Watson was hurt, you look at the Steelers last year, I mean, they had a vicious defense, led the NFL in pressure, they got Minka Fitzpatrick, and that defense was just on fire. They went 8-8 because Roethlisberger got hurt, they had Mason Rudolph and, you know, Duck Hodges as their quarterbacks, and you have to think, they're 12-4 with him. They're eleven and five. They're they're in the playoffs. The extent to which teams would rather lose than sign him, and I'm not accusing the Steelers of that or the Texans of that, but the results are the same. You know, in the end, it's about winning and losing. And the extent to which teams would rather miss the playoffs than sign this guy is just in in a sport where competition is supposed to be the ultimate ultimate. It's just it it kind of you know boggles the mind. I don't know. Well, I, I go back to my my Redskins example when Alex Smith, you know, suffered the leg injury. Yeah. I, yep. I, look, I, I mean, I don't know how anyone could try to, with a straight face, say that going with Mark Sanchez, with all due respect, and Josh Johnson, with all due respect, when you're six and three, how you really are trying to get to the playoffs when Kaepernick is out there now. Even if even if you want to say that, look, by that point Kaepernick was rusty, you'd have to bring him in and get him up to speed. Uh, you know, he's not going to know all the verbiage, you know, for a little while, and um, you know, maybe we'll have to modify some things. I get all of that, but even with all of that, how can you honestly sit there and say the two people 
that Washington brought in were better than this guy. I just, I mean, 58 career starts, two NFC Championship games started, a Super Bowl started, the fourth, the fifth or sixth best touchdowns to interception ratio in the history of the NFL for people who qualify. I, I just, it boggles the mind. And by the way, when was the last time you saw anyone play man defense against a Colin Kaepernick-led offense? Uh, I think it was the Packers in the playoffs, and he ran for like 5,000 yards, and nobody ever did that again. So There you go. He takes three of your coverages out, because the moment your man cornerback turns, Colin runs for 60 yards. So anyway. Yeah, there you go. Uh, rant over. I wanted to move to the Deshaun Jackson thing, the anti-Semitic posts, and it's... It, I wrote about this today, today being Tuesday, July 7th, um, in the context of Riley Cooper and his thing, and the Eagles suspended him, did not, or fined him, did not suspend him, and he played for the team for, you know, until 2015, and the incident happened in, in 2013, the N-word incident. This is a guy who caught 169 passes in his career. He's a definition of, you know, replacement-level player. Um, the Bills have an unfortunate cottage industry right now in which they have to excuse the social media activities of their quarterbacks in the past. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't... It, and then you expand it to coaches. I mean, Vic Fangio is saying that he doesn't see racism. I know you wrote about that. Pete Carroll telling me last week that coaches have to listen to the players because, as, as he said... There are a lot of white guys who don't know what they need to know. And I, I'd like to get your perspective on this. Can the NFL create a standard or start educating coaches and players and executives so there isn't this undefined paradigm swinging all over the place? Because I don't think Fangio's a racist or a bad guy. I think he's a guy who's been in rooms with chalkboards designing defensive plays in his, his entire adult life. He is not equipped to deal with this on his own. Carroll has put himself on the front line since his days at USC. He's got a 20-year history of this. Massive difference in social awareness. How can the NFL actually give its people more tools to be socially aware when the need is so great? Well, one way is to have more diversity throughout these organizations yeah. um, in both football operations and business ops. I mean, look, I, I, I don't know what's in Vic Fangio's heart, but I don't... Everybody, I, all the people that I interviewed uh, before I wrote a piece about that, people who ha who have who know some people who know him who have worked with him, they're like, no, I, I don't think Vic is a bad guy at all. I think that in his world, in his frame of reference, no, he doesn't see racism. But you got to understand, has he gone outside that world? Right. And the next day or shortly thereafter, after he talked to players, he, he issued an apology, you know, the, you know he said he, he maybe didn't, you know, um, I forget his exact words, I'm paraphrasing now, but something effective like, yeah, you know, he, 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 he wanted, he talked to players and he got a different understanding. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's problematic on many levels because if, if someone with, with his type of platform says that type of thing, well, then a lot of fans who are or not just fans, but people in the game who are very uneasy about all this talk about needing more diversity and inclusion, they're like, well, you know, Vic Fangio's an NFL head coach. He's saying there's no racism in the NFL, so what are we talking about here? The, the league has, has a Pete Carroll, and it also has a Vic Fangio, so what you say, well, you'd like it to be somewhere in between where, you know, Maybe you don't have to be the most enlightened person in the world, but you at least will leave the possibility open that, you know what, it's not my experience, but, yeah, maybe these other people have experienced that. So maybe I don't say this type of thing because that is not going to advance the situation. Um, that's not going to make the situation better. I think that from a, from a coaching standpoint, you know, one of the things the league did in, in its recent uh, – changes to the Rooney Rule and some other things to try to in, in improve the, uh, the the hiring situation is every team has to submit a, a comprehensive diversity plan. And, you know, m maybe educating staff, uh, you know, staff-wide throughout the league about these issues. And, I, and, I, and I'd be very surprised, Doug, with the current climate that if, if there was not uh, – 
kind of more some type of universal diversity training in the league uh, that we you know with part of these uh, diversity plans that have to be submitted, um, and players too like like Deshaun Jackson's comments uh, like look you're entitled to your opinion, but if that's your opinion and you express it, well no you should be held accountable for that, and. <laughs> It, 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 can't, it, it can't just be, well, you know, black lives matter, but everything else is, is okay. No. I mean, if, if, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about inclusion and fairness and, and how we interact with each other, everything has any type of offensive speech, wrongheaded ideas. If you if those things are going to be expressed, they need, they, they need to be on the table and discussed about, no, why that's wrong. That's not the type of environment that we want in this business. So I, I think for players, you know, we know that players, um, when they enter the league, you know, the rookies are, 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 are uh, you know, the rookie symposium, they, they get a, a lot of information about coming to the NFL and these types of things. Um, having diversity training, uh, you know, during training camp, um, you know, we know that social media has been a thing that, that players have been talked to about. So, yeah, I think that there's a way to do this. There's a way to educate people. Um, now, ultimately, people have to make their own decisions about what they want to do. But because, we you know, we do have freedom of speech, but you can be held accountable for the things that you say. So I, I definitely think that there should be more training about, hey, these are ideas that you may want to think about about how you treat people and the, and the things that you that you put, that come out of your mouth and the things that come out of your Twitter account or your Instagram, because this is not the type of environment that's conducive to making the the country better. So yeah, there can be definitely more training around that for coaches and players, and I'd be surprised if we don't see more of that. Because you know, there's all these things, and certainly since George Floyd was murdered. You know, so many statements. We're doing this. We're doing that. We want to be an age of change. Here's two hundred and fifty million million dollars for blah blah blah. Jay Z is going to do whatever. Um, I you know expanded Rooney Rule. Yada yada yada. And yeah, all these initiatives and all these statements and all these sort of boilerplate whatevers. And you know, it's like Deshaun Jackson's thing was the latest teachable moment. And there are all these so many teachable moments. And like, why is there any real education? And with all these initiatives going on. What I don't see is a plan, and it's like you, I mean, Pete Carroll gave me the number last week, 75% black, player population. Three black head coaches, two black GMs, none of the four black head coaches fired on Black Monday 2018, last day of the year. Five, if you count Hugh Jackson's in-season firing, which, you know, (laughs) given the record, probably warranted. But none of those yeah. guys were replaced by black coaches. We're moving backwards, Jason. Why isn't this working? What, what if anything, can the NFL do beyond the Rooney rule and these rule tweaks and these sort of hypothetical fixes to bring front office representation in line? Because, again, the NFL is 100% plan, 100% vision, and the execution, I just don't know how you get from where we are to where we need to be. Well, one of the things, and talking to people who are in the front lines of the the hiring fight is that they they talk about the carrot and the stick. Now, when you when you try to incentivize hiring by rewarding teams, which is what the NFL uh, was going to put on the table um, in an expanded ruling rule, you were going to be able to move up in the draft depending uh, on if you hired a, a coach of color and a GM in the color, a GM of color. Um, the, but the problem is, is that well, there are many problems with it. But the, the, if you're going to incentivize hiring, but not have an enforcement component, if you don't do it, again, the carrot and the stick. Well, it, it, what's going to happen is you, you're, you're probably not going to get the intended results. Now, the other issue with what the league was proposing was that it looked like straight affirmative action. Um, and many people were up in arms about that, and including black coaches who didn't want that. The ideal situation would be that owners simply hire qualified candidates of color for jobs that they clearly are ready to fill. Uh, that has not happened. I mean, because, you know, the argument is, well, 
you know, they're just not out there. That was the same argument that we had about quarterbacks. Yep. That, oh, well, you know, they just aren't, they just aren't black quarterbacks capable of playing at a championship level. If you, but then what happened was as more black quarterbacks got opportunities, especially after Doug Williams won that Super Bowl, you, you go to this past year, MVP of the league was a black quarterback. MVP of the Super Bowl was a black quarterback. AP Offensive Play of the Year was a black quarterback. The number one overall pick, who was the AP Offensive of the Year, was a black quarterback. Black quarterbacks made up half of the division uh, series. Excuse me, the, uh, the, 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 the divisional playoffs. Um, you, you, you look at it now, black quarter, you can make an argument that five of the six top quarterbacks in the NFL are black quarterbacks. Is it just all of a sudden black quarterbacks became good? No, they got opportunities. Mm-hmm. The, the situation with hiring is that a lot of times these owners, they want to hire people who they are comfortable with, have the same you know, frame of reference, that they w- would like to be around, and we don't have any black owners. That's, saying that, that's not to say that black owners would only hire black people uh, or black coaches, but until the landscape changes, and the only way it's going to change is by the owners changing it, we're going to keep coming back to this situation. I don't think that there's, there's, no, there's no program where there's no... Um, you know, I want to the Bill. There was a Bill Walsh. There is the Bill Walsh uh, Minority Internship Program. Yep. There is a Scouting in, Internship Program. But all these things have been in place for some time. And you're talking about entry level people. There are competent people and player personnel who are people of color throughout the league. There are competent coaches who, you know, just like a Sean McVay got a chance. Uh, you know, and shot up there are are up there are coaches of color like that out there too. They have to get the opportunity. So why haven't we seen this work? Because owners have not decided to make it work. Because Eric Bieniemy, I mean, Andy Reid did everything except like rent a plane and put a banner behind it saying Eric Bieniemy should be a head coach in the NFL, and he didn't get a shot. But you know, if you've been in Bill Belichick's building for five minutes, yeah, we'll hire you. Dallas Cowboys hired Mike McCarthy. I mean, riddle me that one, Batman. It's just like well, you know, you know Doug, you bring up the B enemy thing, and I, I, the thing I find most interesting about the B enemy thing is Doug Peterson was the, Doug Peterson was Andy Reid's offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. He he, I believe I believe Doug was there for, either three or four seasons. I'd have to look it up, but um, you know he gets he gets the job with the Eagles. Nagy replaces Doug. Nagy, I believe, had the job for two years. He gets the job with the Bears. Now, Eric Bieniemy gets the job after Nagy. He moves up on the staff. Eric Bieniemy is one step away from the Super Bowl. They, you know, they lose in overtime to the to the to the Patriots. Then the next year, he's part of a staff that wins the Super Bowl. The knock against Bieniemy is why Andy calls the plays. Well, Andy called the plays with Peterson too, and I know there's, you know, Peterson. I went, you know, I went back and researched this, and Peterson had told the Philadelphia writers that no, you know, Andy let him call uh, plays in certain situations, and Andy had actually given up play calling duty to Nagy, to Nagy when the when the team had gone on a slide when he was when he was the uh, coordinator. Right. But he Nagy didn't call plays the whole time, and Bieniemy does have input in play calling, so. The situation with the other two guys was quite similar to Bieniemy, but Bieniemy was part of a staff that won a Super Bowl. Peterson and Nagy did not win Super Bowls when they were with Kansas City. So, in a very long-winded way, what I'm trying to say is, whatever you want to discount on the fact that Bieniemy doesn't call plays in a traditional offensive play caller role, the other two guys didn't. This guy helped the guy win a Super Bowl. So, if if you have issues with with the play call aspect, well, isn't that outweighed by the fact that this guy won a Super Bowl and the other two guys who had a job did pretty decent jobs as a head coach? So, very frustrating. Yep. Yes, indeed. Well, yeah, they won the Super Bowl, and you know whoever was calling the plays and whoever was designing that offense. I mean, Mahomes had that injury, and things were a little shaky midseason. They turned it around. Um, so, yep. Yeah. Uh, I, 
really want to thank you for doing this, Jason. Uh, final thing, lightning round, quick yes or no. Is there a full NFL season in 2020? I know you said lightning. So, <laughs> so, well, there could be a lightning storm. Lightning means fast. Um, well, by full, and I'm sorry to do this to you, yeah. but do you mean like a full 16-game schedule? Let's say full meaning it starts at some point and there's a Super Bowl in Tampa. Uh, yeah, I mean, they might, be, they, they might be drafting guys off the street at that point. But yeah, I'll I'll say yes. Okay, I I think they'll start because of the NFL. No one's going to tell them what to do. I don't know if they'll finish. That's that's my thing. Well, well, here, well, here's my thing. If they start, look, they're they're losing money from the concessions, the parking, the merchandise sale at the games. Um, if they start, they're going to want to get that Super Bowl in. Okay, mm-hmm. they're going to want to get that playoff TV money in. So that's why my only thing is, is like, if they start, I think they're going to finish. Now, are they going to start? I mean, these guys, as you know, you know, they, they get these guys to stop working out together because, you know, pe- pe- people are testing positive all over the country. Um, but, yeah, I just think if they start, they're going to they're gonna get to the Super Bowl. Great stuff, man. Jason Reed, senior NFL writer for the Undefeated. Thanks again so much for your time, man. Anytime, my man.